The title sponsor of Hunt Talk Radio is Leupold. Leupold Optics are the trusted optics of accomplished hunters and shooters. If it has a gold ring on it, you know it was built by American hands in Beaverton, Oregon. Whether it's a new rifle scope, binocular, a spotter, rangefinder, or eyewear, go to leupold.com to learn more and look for these fine Leupold products at your high-quality retailers. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. As I was walking, I saw a sign thing on the sign. It said no trespassing, but on the other side, it didn't say nothing. Well, that sign was made for you and me. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. Hope you're doing great. Today we are continuing our discussion on corner crossing. Today I am in the law firm over here with uh, Tom and Nick. And if you haven't, I'd suggest you go back and listen to the two podcasts we did about this time. Yeah, about this time last year about corner crossing and that laid out a lot of the the background of the facts of the case what happened what the potential outcomes could be the criminal case at that time uh potential civil cases well as you will hear in this podcast uh the criminal case was decided a jury found them not guilty of criminal trespass and then the landowner filed a very large case on civil trespass against these same four hunters from Missouri. So we're well into that. Uh, It'll be probably August of 2023 before we really know for sure what the civil case outcome is. But there's a lot of questions being asked. A lot of, I don't know what you'd call it, prognostication of where it's going to go, what it's going to do, what precedent it may set. So I thought, you know what, this would be a really good time to get Tom and Nick back on the podcast. We've spent quite a bit of time working on an outline for this podcast, coming up with the talking points, the questions, the relevant issues at hand. Uh, And hopefully when we're all done, you got a pretty good pathway of how the process is going to work from here forward and what the possibilities could be of any outcome nobody's really given their their uh <laughs> they're not odds makers let's put it that way uh stating oh it's gonna go this way or it's gonna go that way we're gonna explore all of the ways it could go so appreciate you being here uh stay tuned because in about five seconds tom and nick are gonna be on the podcast with me appreciate it Well, folks, I hope you have a cup of coffee and a comfortable chair because this is the third podcast we are doing about this topic called Corner Crossing. And I'm back at the law firm with Tom and Nick, Tom Stonecipher, Nick Vandenboss, uh, and they have, well, I thank you guys for being here today. And, yeah, sure. Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, thanks for having been so helpful in the prior two podcasts. Um, we got to the point, I was over here about a month ago talking to Tom and Nick, and 
Well, Nick sends me updates about every case. Tom sends me bits and pieces that he reads about cases related to this or issues related to this. And so when I was over here, I thought, well, let's outline another podcast because we're kind of at that point where the criminal case has been decided. We now have a pending civil case. And I asked you guys be thinking about podcast number four after this civil case is decided so that we know where it might, one, the findings of that case, but where it might go from there. So uh, you guys have put together a great outline for us to follow, but we're going to have a whole lot of rabbit holes to follow. As, as we always do. The field is full of rabbit holes. <laughs> it yeah. is. It is. So I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to kind of walk through the, the intro. And by that, you guys have put together an introduction where you think it's helpful to give some background of where we're at in the process so far. So I'll let you guys do it because I'm an accountant. You guys are attorneys. I'll mess it up. Hmm. You might be. Well... You could be a lot more precise. I think we're going to find, Randy, that there is not a lot of precision in this case and where we're going right this minute. Huh. There's more to come, more to come. But you can't solve it with numbers. That's yeah. true. <laughs> no That's debits true. and credits. No debits one. and credits. No. Well, where are we at? I mean, you, you talked about, Randy, uh, already that the criminal case is done. The jury said not guilty there. Uh, that's, that's gone. Um, but... We are now watching another lawsuit play out, which is the civil case that's currently in the federal district court in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Iron Bar Holdings, which is the entity that owns the Elk Mountain Ranch, has, has sued these four uh, hunters from Missouri. Uh, and uh, the case has, has wound up in federal court. It didn't start there, but that's where we are now. And we're watching that process play out. We think uh, it's likely... Uh, probably going to be done based on the schedule that the court has set out uh, probably towards the end of this summer coming up. So mid-year or, or a little bit after, but it's in the process right now. We'll, ha we'll have a trial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for those listening, the criminal case was held in Carbon County, Wyoming, and it was just a jury deciding whether these four hunters from Missouri did or did not violate the criminal statutes of Wyoming in what they did and the jury said no yes that's correct so that, that's a lot of people seem to think well that makes everything just fine and dandy uh yeah and, and that's wrong yeah and, but the bigger issue where a lot of this stuff really sorts itself out it seems like is the civil case so a criminal case is the state making a claim against citizen that you violated one of our laws a civil case is two parties arguing over if someone's rights have been violated am i right in saying that well kind of okay a kind of how would you say it well it, it, the civil case is a, is a civil claim of, of action the criminal case the question is did you violate the wyoming criminal law yeah that's done there's also civil causes of action, like if someone runs into you in mm -hmm. a car. Right. Now you have a civil cause of action for negligence against the driver of the car. Right. Here, there is also a civil cause of action for trespass. Mm -hmm. Somebody drives a bulldozer onto your property, damages your land. 
that's a trespass. Yeah. And you can get money for that. It's a cause of action, a private one. Yeah. And that's what we have here with the ranch owner saying when these hunters stepped across from one public section to another, they entered the airspace yeah. on land above the land the rancher owned. And the rancher is now making a civil claim that that is a trespass onto my land. And, and the law gives you a remedy, a private remedy of damages yeah. for that kind of action. And you can get an injunction, which the rancher is looking for here, yeah. to say to people like the hunters, don't ever do this again. Yeah. If this is a violation of Wyoming law or a violation of just the common law and rights a property owner has. That's what's going on in the civil case now. So this is the right that a property owner has under common law. And one party's asserting, I own all the airspace and you can't step over it. And if you do, you've damaged me in some way. That's, is that a simplified way? Yeah, of, it's a simplified so. way of doing it, but that's, that's, that's certainly it. That's what's in the ballpark. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in order to make that claim, if I'm the landowner in this case or the, the plaintiff, I have to have some sort of, I, I have to present the court some basis for my claim, correct? You have to prove facts yeah. which show that you have a claim. Yeah. And then I also, if... I prevail, I have to somehow show what my damages are, correct? Correct. Yep. You also have to have some facts that, that show that uh, you were you were damaged in some way. And uh, the standard that, that the, of evidence that we, we use is called the preponderance of the evidence uh, in these scenarios. And that just means, uh, you know, more likely than not, it's the 51% standard. Did the scales tilt in your favor or do they tilt away from you? Okay. And that's the, that's the standard you have to overcome to say, I've proved my claim. Yeah. So, as, as opposed to beyond a reasonable doubt, which right. is the standard in a criminal trial. In a criminal trial. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, that's what I'm trying to get people to understand is a criminal trial has a whole different set of protocols, procedures, findings, and outcomes than what a civil case does. Now, in a civil case, if I'm the defendant, I have to defend myself to say, one, know that I didn't violate your rights in some way, shape, or form, uh, and I end up having to hire attorneys to defend myself. Praise uh -huh. the Lord, Randy. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, these civil cases are the Attorney Full Employment Act on both sides. Yep. So, oh, yeah. uh, Tom was laughing and joking when he said that, but uh, the, the point of it being is that if I am the defendant in a civil case, I have a, I, I better get good legal counsel, first of all. Uh, I can ask, and I think, did, did these four hunters ask for dismissal? They did. Of the claim? Yeah. And in that dismissal process, or act, you know, however that works its way through, an awful lot of things come come to the surface of one, what is the claim made by the, the plaintiff? Two, what are the, the defenses or, or the assertions made by the defendant? But the court, the judge then has to rule whether or not they will dismiss. And if they do or don't, either way, it kind of gives us a little bit of 
what the law in question is that the judge is focused on. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. That's fair to say. And and to set the table, Mm -hmm. just for just a second. This is what we're trying to do here in the first 10 minutes. So we have a civil trespass case by the rancher. Yep. Says, you trespassed on my land. I want a court order to say you should stop. And I want damages. Yep. And he files that case in Carbon County State Court. Doesn't ask for a jury. Right. Oh, right. He did not ask for a jury. He did not ask for a jury. And um, um, in in the court he filed it in, you have to have at least $50,000 at issue in the state court. In the state court. Okay. The defendants, the four hunters, they're from Missouri. The ranch is a North Carolina LLC entity that owns it. Yeah. And you have diversity of citizenship right. between the parties. And right. without ha- giving a legal lecture, that allows a litigant, the defendants, to remove the case out of Wyoming state court into Wyoming federal court. Okay. That's just a, that is a federal statute that allows that to happen. Okay. If you have $75,000 in controversy... Well, this guy said it's what seven point five million. At, at first, he said we don't have seventy five thousand dollars at issue here, Judge. Remand this court, this case back to state court. We don't. You have they haven't met the seventy five thousand dollar threshold. Oh, the court looked at the pleadings and said there reason there is reasonable facts here which show the damages possibly at issue exceed seventy five thousand dollars. We're going to keep it in federal court. Okay, and in the course of the federal case. The rancher has claimed $7.5 million in damages caused by this, this trespass. So, On the surface, $7.5 million doesn't even meet the laugh-out-loud test. It's, but we, I, we could do a podcast on damages here. Randy, <laughs> well, we'll get into some of that because I've been an expert witness in many cases as a CPA. You get asked to be an expert witness in calculating damages in a lot of these cases. So we might touch on that, but yeah. I'm, I'm mostly interested in, uh, uh, thanks for talking about how we got to federal court. And the federal court in Wyoming, it's not like it oversees all of Wyoming. And, and the reason I want to make a distinction that this is one district of a federal court in Wyoming is down the road, it, depending on what the outcome of the case is, it may only apply to that district so, of the federal court because you could have a different judge in yeah, Wyoming. Yeah, so you have in so you have in Wyoming there it is a, a, a one federal district and you have different um, uh, federal judges within that district, right? Um, and the uh, I think what you're what you're asking about is you know what does it mean a decision out of this right. out of this court. Uh, which we'll which we'll get in due time here, and uh, it really gets into the question of uh, well, what's the what's the effect of a of a federal district court decision? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talk about that in terms of precedent. That's the legal term that we use for that. And uh, precedent is is the uh, the rule that courts uh, where they're obligated to have to follow the decisions of of superior courts, courts that are higher up the chain than they are. Okay. So in the federal system, the federal district courts, wherever you are, they all have to follow the decisions of the circuit court, which is the next level up within which they sit. Mm-hmm. And then they also, then all the courts everywhere have to follow the decisions of the United States 
Supreme Court. Right. So the district court opinion or district court decision by itself is not precedentially binding on any one court okay. otherwise. Uh, it uh, can have what we'd call some persuasive uh, effect or, you know, you have a court that's addressed an issue. Courts will often then, uh, if they're looking at a similar issue, try to figure out how, you know, a, a, a sister court has has reasoned out the decision. So you can have some persuasive effect there, but it's not a binding effect that it sets the law for everyone. Okay. Uh, a phrase that they use in those situations, Randy, is the law of the case. The law of the, the case. The law of the case. So we have this case. Right. And when that case is decided and the rights of the ranch and the hunters are determined, that's it. That's the law for them. Right. That does not mean that if somebody else goes out and steps across a corner in a, in, just in a, a separately, yeah. that the law of this particular case we're talking about right now applies to them. It doesn't mean that. Okay. This will decide the rights of these parties here. Yeah. yeah. And okay. then as, as Nick talked about, if we go up on appeal to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, where Wyoming is in the Tenth Circuit, Wyoming's mm -hmm. in the Tenth Circuit, as are some other states, Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, I think. But, yeah, maybe Utah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll get into that <clears throat> a little more as as we go along. But uh, the the point you were going to, Tom and and uh, Nick, you'd you'd made this pretty clear in an email that you sent me that the, the whole way that this federal system works, uh, you end up where these guys, these four hunters, uh, are, are having to defend themselves against this person because now we're in federal court as tom you said we're, we we ended up over seventy five thousand dollars in, in controversy claim, in, yep. in controversy so uh, this process goes along we do these pleadings the and, and this is where i'm i'm getting to nick is the hunters ask for dismissal yep and in the dismissal you were reading to me some of the points the judge made when he said, well, I'm not going to dismiss this case. And some people are taking the fact that the judge didn't dismiss it as though that's the law or that means the hunters are screwed. Let me, let me, let me set the stage just a little more sure. before yep. Nick jumps into that. Um, this case now pending in federal court, a federal court applies state law. This is a state law claim. Yep. Um, and so, and the federal court, as would a state court, also applies applicable federal law. Mm -hmm. So the way this thing is set up now, after the case comes into federal court, the defendants answer the claims, right? And they raise a bunch of defenses to those to the trespass claim. Yeah. One is under Wyoming law, we if we invaded, well, they did invade the airspace of the ranch. That is not a trespass. That's one of the defenses the defendants have raised. Right. They, they've said, even if we did this, even, based on the facts and whatever, this is not a civil trespass. This is not a civil trespass. Okay. Another claim they have raised, and that's going to be, I think, the meat of our discussion today, is there is a federal act that came in the late 1800s called the Unlawful Enclosures Act. It's a federal law 
that says, and none of what we're going to talk about today is legal advice about this act, because it's a, it's a work in progress. It's still evolving. Decisions under it. But that act says it's unlawful for private landowners to handle their land in the checkerboard yeah. in such a way that what they're intending to do is to keep the public out of public land. Right. And the defendants are saying this act applies here as a defense to the civil trespass claim. And if they win, if, and the defendants are saying if, if this is the case and the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies, we win because this could not be a civil trespass. It violates federal law. What the ranch did yeah. in fencing us out or keeping us out violates federal law. Okay. And after they filed that answer without any discovery or any more facts, just looking at the complaint and the answer, the defendants moved to dismiss this case on the basis that it's crystal clear the Unlawful Enclosures Act prohibits this action by the defendants, by the plaintiff, mm-hmm. and this wasn't a trespass. That's what the motion to okay. dismiss was about. Yeah, okay. so, and that's in the uh, the only uh, arena I differ you, with you on that, Tom, is just in the timing because you have to file the motion before you file an answer if you're going to file your motion to dismiss, but it's the... Okay, yeah, you're yeah, right. But, that, but that's the, that is the... Tom set it up, I think, exactly right, where... The, the hunters, uh, they filed a motion with the court. The motion is just a request uh, to the court uh, to take some action. Uh, and they said, uh, we'd like you please to dismiss this case because uh, it doesn't state a claim that uh, relief can be granted for. And that just means that it fails to plausibly allege uh, facts that would support the claims that are being advanced so that the claims have to fail as a matter of law. And that's the standard that the court looks at. It just looks at the, at the complaint, what's been alleged by the, by the ranch in this mm-hmm. case. Uh, it looks at the arguments that the parties make, the legal arguments, and then it comes to a conclusion to answer the question of whether this complaint states a plausible claim for relief. Okay. That's the task that the court has when it's dealing with a motion to dismiss in, in, the, in the federal court system. And uh, what the court did here was a couple things. Uh, first, uh, as Tom uh, alluded to, one of the defenses that's raised by the hunters is the Unlawful Enclosures Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, the court says, yes, you can raise that as a defense in this case. The, the ranch had argued that that law didn't apply. And the court said, no, it, it's okay. You can raise it as a defense. In fact, we have uh, precedent uh, that it's, uh, it's viable as a defense in an action between private parties. Uh, and then the second piece that the court did was say, well, I think that this uh, complaint does state a plausible claim and I need to see more facts before I reach a final conclusion. So I'm not going to allow, uh, I'm not going to dismiss this lawsuit. I'm going to allow the lawsuit to proceed forward. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's some factual questions that, that are going to be important to, to consider. So the questions that the court appears to be interested in are uh, location of, of fencing or use of fencing. Um, and that I think would go to the question of the unlawful enclosures act. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, I think one big question as well is, you know, how much of the, how much of the airspace do you, do you get if you're the landowner or 
what amount of invasion of the airspace can actually qualify as a trespass. Yeah. And the court wrote in that uh, order that it issued is to say, uh, hey, the law recognizes at least to an extent that as to a an landowner. Ex- to an extent. To an extent. Yeah. To an extent. It's not a hard and fast. And it's, as will probably become apparent as we talk about this, and if anyone out there has had the misfortune of having to contact a lawyer or the good fortune, <laughs> I would say. That's right. Thinking, um, uh, you've, you've probably heard the it depends answer. And that's not to be evasive, but it's just to reflect the fact that uh, really this idea that there's hard and fast rules out there that are simple to grasp and everyone can understand them. We can get you a, a clean cut answer on every question just isn't reflected in the, in the way that the law works. But what the, uh, the court said is, yeah, you do have, it looks like the law recognizes at least to an extent you have this right to your airspace. Um, so much, at least to the extent that you can practicably use it. So that's what the court said in their refusal or their rejection of the claim to dismiss. That's right. They said, we recognize there is some right to airspace, mm-hmm. but they didn't define to what extent. That's right. The landowner owns that airspace. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because so, some people are reading into that. Uh that somehow that 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 refusal to dismiss or declining the the motion to dismiss is uh, oh we won oh, oh you know no. that that establishes that see the landowner does have that right it's it seems like this judge is being very careful in wording that hey there's there's this has never really been decided there's some that goes this way some that goes that way so we know that it exists to some extent, but we don't know to what extent. Yeah. And I think, I think you have in, you know, judges generally are, uh, they want to have a good understanding of the issues and the, and the facts of a case uh, where it seems like it's going to be a close question or a question that doesn't have a, of a clear answer to it. And I think that's a lot of what you see reflected in the, in the, in the uh, court's order there to say, you know, there's, some ins and outs here, and we need to see how this plays out before we, before the court is going to enter a, a final order in the case. Right, yeah. and and one of the things going on here that we've talked about, Randy, is that here's the judge saying, you know, I'm not certain about airspace. Yeah, the law's not certain about it. We're going to have to we're going to have to look at it here and develop more facts. Yeah. Cases are decided on facts. Yeah. You get down on your knees, you worship the facts in the case. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and then once the facts are established, then you apply the law. Yeah. But uh, something else that's going on here, if landowners think this is a, a signal that the judge is in their favor, I think that's a misreading of yeah. his opinion because what the judge is also doing is saying, I'm not going to make a decision now that the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies, but it might. Yeah. And we're going to develop more facts here. And if the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies, then the question becomes, how does that apply to airspace, trespass, and things like that? So the defendants might have a complete defense, yeah. whether there's under Wyoming law trespass or not, if the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies. So there's something in this opinion right now that hunters can smile about and something that ranchers can smile about. But yeah. we're in the we're like in a canoe in the middle of a class four rapids right now. 
<laughs> we are, and yeah. we're going down. That's what this case is, yeah. and we're heading down, and it ain't going to stop until we get a decision. So you can't read it one way or another at this point, I think. Okay. And I think to jump on top of that, one one point that's worth making here, too, when you think about how a court works, you know, those of us who are outside the process and watching this unfold and reading news articles about it and, and uh, following coverage, uh, you know, everyone has a lot of ideas based on the on what they've read and, and, uh, and seen or heard. Uh, but that's different than the facts that are in front of a court. The court's not at liberty to go out and start uh, deciding cases based on a on a news article or something that uh, you know someone heard from a buddy about you know what 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 this how this case should be decided. The court the court's obligated to look at the facts that are that are uh, properly presented to it. So it's got yeah. a it's got a more limited window that it's looking at this case through than probably a lot of the folks who are who are listening or thinking about this do. And that's just the nature of the way a court works. Yeah. So the court says, no, I'm not going to dismiss this case. We're going to go forward. The hunters, either before or after this thing, ask for a jury trial? Uh, when they ask for a jury trial, yes, in federal court. Right. So why why would a defendant want a jury trial and why would a plaintiff not want a jury trial? <laughs> this is a good. This is a good question. It's good. It it, it is a good question. Um, and what juries do? <clears throat> juries find facts. Like I talked about, you yeah. get down on your knees and worship the facts. Yeah. A jury is a fact finder, and um, if you don't have a jury, a judge is a fact finder. Right. Right. And then the law is applied. Yeah. And. Um, I may get this wrong because as a thought swirl through my mind, but if if you are in this particular case a plaintiff, right? You know, I'm a hunter from Missouri. I'm one of the four guys. I'm like, I want a jury. Yeah. Why why would I be advised I want a jury? Because I'm. I suspect their legal counsel told them we're going to ask for a jury trial. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, and that's why you had a, you, you don't have to have a jury trial in a criminal case either. You can have right. the judge decide the facts. Yeah. Uh, but one of the reasons the defendants would want a jury is they are sympathetic. Mm-hmm. It's a classic case from the beginning of time. Right. A landowner, powerful individual against <laughs> against ordinary right. citizens. Right. I mean, Which is why we have this term jury of our peers, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there were a lot of people who came from Europe who didn't feel like they got a jury, or if they did, it wasn't a jury of their peers. Right. Yeah, that's that's exactly in fact the jury system is kind of a uniquely American is it? institution. Really? I, I, well, common law. It started there was a jury in in England. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but but it's a common law principle that came. And there's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah. You can be, uh, you can be the head of Microsoft, right? And you can sue some, your gardener, yeah. in, for, for uh, destroying your begonias in yeah. Redmond, Washington. Uh-huh. And guess what? A jury can decide that Microsoft, the head of Microsoft, is wrong, or, or he's got to pay the gardener. That's the beauty of a jury: yeah. is that they're not influenced. In the same way, other people can be influenced by powerful individuals. Yeah. And that would be a reason why the rancher might not ask for a jury. Right. I can see a rancher thinking, you know what, I don't, I don't want a bunch of these commoners out here deciding this case. 
But since he's the plaintiff and not the defendant, he doesn't get to decide, correct? Well, he could ask for a jury if he wants. But, 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 but I mean, if the defendant say, I want a jury, he can't say, wait, no, you don't get a jury. I want it. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Either, yep. either side can ask for a jury. Right. And, and what's interesting here, and here's where, Nick, I'm a little bit at a loss. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Go Hunt Insider. Go to GoHunt.com to get the best information available to the self-guided hunter. The best draw odds, strategy articles, e-scouting tools, maps that you can use online and out in the field, and you get points in the best gear shop in the industry. Sign up for Insider using promo code Randy, and they're going to give you $50 of credit in the GoHunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com, sign up now, promo code Randy, $50 of store credit. Nosler Ammunition is the official ammunition of Hunt Talk Radio and every other platform that we produce. Nosler was founded in 1948 by John Nosler, and over that time, Nosler Ammunition has proven time and again why so many hunters and shooters trust Nosler. Whether it's Nosler bullets, components, or their premium-grade ammunition, Nosler's reputation at quality shines through. We shoot exclusively Nosler E-tips, Acubons, and partitions in all of our rifles. And all of those can be found at Nosler.com or look for them at fine retailers near you. When this case in federal court goes to the jury, we're going to have a couple of things going on. We're going to find facts, mm-hmm. and then there's going to be a question, does the Uniform or the uh, Unlawful Enclosures Act apply mm-hmm. in, this, in this case based on these facts? And I'm struggling a little bit to say, will the jury decide that after they find the facts, or will the judge? It's a tough... I, I... Well, because we're kind of in this a little bit of un, untrodden territory... As you say, that you know, you, your general rule is that the the jury is the fact finder in a jury trial. The jury finds the facts, and then the jury is instructed in the form of jury instructions mm-hmm. on what the law is, and that's provided to them by the court. Right. So the that's court right. says, "Here's what the law that you are going to apply to the facts that you find is. Apply that law and arrive at a decision. Report back to us what your decision is." So that, the court makes the decision about what. Uh, what law applies. What's interesting here, not to get too deep in the weeds, is, you know, as as the facts are, if, if there are key facts that the jury has to has to consider or make a decision about, like let's say the nature of a of a, of an enclosure, if if there is an enclosure in the case, or whether two posts on a corner are an enclosure or something like that, that may well have a have a kind of determinative effect on on what law applies, but I think that the court is still going to say, "Here's what the law is that that we instruct you with." And it, even before that, the lawyers for both sides are going to have arguments about how the jury should be instructed. They're going to submit instructions that they want to go to the jury to the court, and the court's going to have to decide what instructions go there. That's right. That's right. That, that's thanks for refreshing for that. That because it'll be a jury that decides. I think here, somebody will stand up and say, we, the jury, find, here are the facts, and either the plaintiff wins, mm-hmm. defendants win, 
um, like the either the Unlawful Enclosures Act, which is probably the jeweled bearing upon which this is going to turn here. Okay. Either it applies in this particular case based on these particular facts, or it doesn't. Yeah. And who knows how that's going to come out. Nobody should do anything at this point. I'm think, thinking particularly of hunters yeah. who are excited by this. I mean, if they ha- get access to a lot more public land. Right. Now is not the time to go out and think you have a increased rights or more rights uh, yeah. to, to do anything. It's, this is in process. Yeah. And don't behave. Don't, don't read into this. Don't read into this Based on what anything. you hear down at the coffee shop. That's right. That's yeah. right. Don't think it's going to happen. And for ranchers, too. You, ranchers might want to be careful about how they handle their corners. Oh, for sure, because right now uh, I'm get, getting peppered from, with emails from people who want to see the, the landowner prevail, saying, oh, wow, this is a slam dunk, blah, blah. I'm like, all right. And I, you just think that. Yeah. You know? uh, so we, we're now in the process where the motion to dismiss has been declined. We have a jury trial in federal court. Uh, now we get into these, this process of discovery because the burden of proof, if I understand correctly, is on the plaintiff to prove they were damaged. Am I correct? In to prove there was a trespass right, right, and right. they were damaged. Yeah. The burden is on the defendants to def- establish a defense. Right. So it's not like I can just come up with some frivolous reason to file a suit just because I want to piss somebody off. Well, you could. But I, you could, I but wouldn't it, recommend hopefully you do it'd it. be demanded. Yeah. You, you'll be yes. shocked, shocked at how many times <laughs> that happens in the real world, yeah. Randy. But a good judge is going to dismiss something that's pretty frivolous. Yes. Yeah. So the defendant receives this claim against them. Everybody starts building their case, right? The claim against them has to establish what the assertions are. In other words, you did this to me and you did that to me. Right. And, but based on the facts, yeah. the ranch mm-hmm. is going to say, dude, you passed through my airspace. You yeah. never touched the soil I own, yeah. but you passed through my airspace. And they're going to try to establish that with facts. Right. And, and then they're going to say, that's a trespass. Give, yeah. me, give me money. And the it's not like the hunters are uh, stating that they didn't cross through the airspace. They said, no, we brought a ladder. We went right mm-hmm. over at the corner. So there's no argument of the fact of what the parties did. That's That seems to be the case. The, yeah. yeah. The, the argument is how does the law apply if we have any law that does apply? And if so... And the defendants, i.e., the hunters, are found guilty. Then what are the damages? Yes. In in a simplified way of saying where this ends up and where it goes. Yeah, that that's that's right. And and here, you know, what we have is really some pretty simple. It's not a terribly factually complex case. No. You know, we're not dealing with the Securities Exchange Commission and. A series of rapid fire trades, yeah. uh, or something like that. And there's, yeah. there's, Who knew what? And yeah. When did they know it? Yeah. There's not a lot of that. I think uh, my understanding is uh, that the these facts are they're pretty simple. It's the it's the law where it becomes uh, a bit more convoluted and uncertain. Yeah. So 
The two points seem to be the Unlawful Enclosures Act and the argument over who owns what airspace. And is it an exclusive ownership? Is it not? To establish, is that a right that the landowner can... Because if it's established that the airspace is not the exclusive property right of the landowner, it's pretty hard for them to make a case or the court or jury to find that they've been violated. That's that that that's true. And uh, as, as we've talked about here, you look at these federal cases that are out there. There's the U.S. versus Cosby, right? Yep. People say, okay, this establishes uh, definitive law about airspace. Well, that's not true. No, it doesn't. There's also Hinman versus Pacific Air Transport that says... The air over the over an owner's land belongs to the world. Yeah. Belongs to the world is what that case says. Yeah. And then we have this odd coelum doc- doctrine from common law. Blackstone says, if I own an acre out here, I own it to the center of the earth and to the end of the universe. Yeah. Which the Webb telescope is telling us is continually expanding, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so Blackstone so, didn't have the benefit of that and one. Blackstone's glasses no. were not that thick <laughs> uh, that he was able to see it. And, and that, 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 actual, that doctrine has been uh, rejected in federal court. They right. say that doesn't apply here. So there, there are arguments on either side mm-hmm. uh, here. And, and that's... So how the what the law is about airspace is, I think at, the, at this point uncertain. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's part of this long term process that the law is always going through, as it uh, grapples with new situations, new fact patterns, as we call them, that it hasn't been presented yet with. Yeah, and the old uh, you know the rules uh, as they're as they're developed over time or faced with these new facts and as the world changes and facts change the law generally tends to change along along with it Mm -hmm. Uh, but it how how quickly does it do that we don't know Uh, what's the nature of the change we don't know it it gets filled in i mean for example in these in this unlawful enclosures act right i want to i want to talk about the unlawful enclosures act because it's an important part of the defense being made. Oh, it's crucial. And so how do we, let's examine that because here's something that's in my head is when you guys talk about facts and circumstance, we have, I've driven down there. So I had an elk tag in this same exact area in 2019. I drove down there. It showed this as a County road. On the Carbon County map, if you go to the Carbon County, Wyoming Highway Department, it shows this as a road going partway in there. And here, the the pictures you see of, of how this landowner has prohibited access at a corner by putting up really tall fence posts or pipes or whatever, and then locking a chain across there. That is so much the exception to what a normal corner looks like. When I say a corner, most of these corners in the checkerboard area, a large portion of them don't even have any fence. They just have a a monument marker from the the survey Mm -hmm. that says here's where the corner exists. So there is is no, uh, not prohibition, but no impairments, no physical obstacles placed at most of the corners that we deal with. 
And the rest of them usually are just a sheep or cattle fence that is there for the legitimate purpose of keeping the cattle or the sheep within the pastures of the landowner. So when we talk about this Unlawful Enclosures Act, I want people to understand that the corner where they crossed is significantly... Uh, uh, like if you had a bell curve, this is the way this landowner has obstructed anybody from crossing is such an outlier of the bell curve that it's it's almost not even on the chart. You have to have a wide screen up to see how far off the <laughs> the normal bell curve this corner in question actually is in terms of how much obstruction that landowner put up there. And I think that's relevant to how the court would look at the unlawful enclosures. I think but, you're right. Okay. So I'm I, not out in the weeds on that. I, I, no. think, I think you're right. One, but Nick and I can't pontificate too much about the Unlawful Enclosures Act um, in a sense because they're, this law was passed in the late 1800s. Yeah, the Johnson County Range Wars of Wyoming is what brought it up, isn't it? I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Cattle, cattlemen... Basically cattlemen, and I like beef as much as anybody, (laughs) but it was basically cattlemen who were trying to fence in the checkerboard, trying to fence private land in a way to keep sheep out and others. Yeah. And that's what caused the act to to be filed. So it's 18 what? 1887 or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's passed. Yeah, I think, yeah, 1885 maybe, A- right in there. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> one thing I would, want, I would want hunters and ranchers to do is if they want to read the act, that would help them. Yeah. Uh, it's at 43 U.S. Code section, six, uh, section 1061 through 1064. Okay. And the reason you want to read it is that Nick and I have read this a lot. Yeah. We've read the cases. We, there's no case that has ever considered what happens if I'm a guy from Missouri with a rifle and I step from one public section to another in the checkerboard. Right. That case has not been decided. Correct. It's never, it is an undecided part of law. It's an undecided part of law. And then when you read the Unlawful Enclosures Act, it has words like, no person shall, by any fencing, keep people out. Generally, but you've got to read the entire act because that's a simplistic version and that's right. not the law. Right. But if you read this and, and then try to apply it here, it's not easy to do. You don't really know. And that's why courts look at statutes and apply them. Based on facts and circumstances. Based on facts and circumstances and what the law is. And these aren't simple statutes. Yeah. They've been applied to sheep herders. They've been applied to antelope. Right. It's so funny. It's like Wyoming is the hotbed of this stuff. It is. The, the antelope case you're talking about, the pronghorn case, is in Carbon County, Wyoming. <laughs> the same really? exact place. Yeah. In fact, the state of Wyoming in the settlement ended up buying some property over there. Uh, and it's now a wildlife management area. And you can see Elk Mountain. If you're standing on that is property, that right? yeah, it's that's wild. one of them is southwest of Rollins. This is southeast of where the Elk Mountain case here is southeast of Rollins. There is something about <laughs> the the lack of of crystal ball that the U.S. government had when they started granting these every other section to the railroads back in the 1800s. Yeah, it would have been nice if it were different. Yeah, but, but, but anyhow, but, but that's how we find ourselves. And it is, but your point, Tom, is there are a ton of cases out there that have been 
or that have involved the uh, unlawful enclosures. Yeah, not a ton, about 15 pounds, Randy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. About about 15 pounds. There are not that many, and there was a long period of time from the 20s, 1920s to the 70s, when there was hardly any action at all. Really? Yeah. Uh, It just, the law seemed to be settled. Um, Or or ranchers and the public got along. Yeah. They got along. Or we didn't have new technology that came along, where on this phone that I have right here, within very close accuracy, I have my map, digital mapping, where I can walk right up and almost find a corner pin, even if there's not a fence there. So until this technology emerged, whether it was Google Earth and then all the predecessors from there, we really didn't have the ability to go and do this. Mm. Or it would take you a heck of a long time to be wandering around trying to find that that corner pin. That corner pin. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why this was considered or at least dormant in terms of settled law it, it certainly played a role yeah that. Yep. i mean now i grab my phone or my gps and i can walk to a point where i'm probably going to get within you know 10 or 12 feet of that monument marker and i'll be able to see it there identify it yeah it's, sometimes it's not that precise or accurate but we also have a lot of this ground now fenced and sure. cross-fenced. Cross-fenced, so. identified, um, and, uh, and the, the people who want to access public lands have changed. That, right. that group has changed now. There, I don't see too many guys wearing Peruvian outfits running bands of sheep from one side of the mountain to no. the other. Now it's guys no. like you who want to hunt, right? Want right. to hunt on public land. Or if I want to go out and, and pick mushrooms or fish for fish right. in a stream on public land, it's a different yeah. group now. And they're also, and it's not, this change of the last 10 years I mentioned in technology, in the last 20 to 25 years, what you have seen is the way ranches are marketed, of how many times have you seen a listing that says, hey, 20,000 acres, and then in the fine print, it says, oh, 18,000 of this is leased, but your 2,000 of deeded will lock up all this. Mm -hmm. So we've seen this trend of people wanting to leverage their money, come out west and say, Hey, you mean I I can buy 20,000 acres for the price of 2,000? The buyer thinks of it that way, and the seller thinks, oh, my listing broker or my selling agent said, I can probably get a whole lot more. I'm I'm in effect selling the public land. Public land, yeah. And so we've had a huge change in how these properties are marketed, under the premise that, well, no one's ever going to question this. So let's, the more I can capture, the more public land I can capture within my boundaries, it's kind of like money, you know, pennies from heaven, or in this case, $1,000 bills from, oh, yeah. <laughs> from yeah. the heavens. And a lot of federal yeah. land. Well, one, one point about this that Nick and I have talked about is, is uh, the damage figure of $7.5 million yeah. at issue here. Who knows what that what that comes from, but maybe it comes from saying, wow, if these, if people can access the public sections that I have enclosed, my ranch is going to be worth less. Oh, absolutely I it mean, will be. That's going to be mm-hmm. it. And here's, I guess, what I'd say to that. 
um, because there's some expert witnesses who are opining on damages yeah. in this case. Yeah. If, if, if you're surprised as a, a rancher or a realtor, mm-hmm. if you're surprised that someone might make the claim that eventually the public will be able to access public land mm-hmm. within your holdings, if you're surprised by that, you have not been doing your homework. Exactly. Because that's always the possibility. And in the, there's a, 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 a fellow who um, writes well-respected treatises on public land, and he talks about the, un, uh, the Unlawful Enclosures Act as having evolutionary vitality. What, is, what does that mean? That means that, you know what? The law, is gonna be, the law will be applied now to people stepping from one public section to another. Okay. It's still evolving. Uh-huh. It depends on the facts that are presented. And, and now we have facts presented that hopefully will answer that question. But to think that the law was totally settled and ranchers who owned, who enclosed public land sections uh, would, would never have, a, have to face the prospect of the public accessing them. Yeah. If you felt that way, you did not do your homework and you didn't understand how the law works. And if you're a buyer, in this case, the defendant from North Carolina, you come out west and you're like, boy, look at this. This is a hell of a deal. Yeah. Uh, yep. If... I, I think if this case, for however far, and we'll get into the appeals and what, where it could go, but if you are this person, who this defendant, who paid... A plain, whatever, the plaintiff, the rancher, you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the rancher, uh, the plaintiff. If you paid $20 million for this ranch under the premise... Because your attorney, your realtor, the title company, everybody encouraged that, oh, you're really, yeah, this is the value because you control access to all this. If he loses, I would be, if I was those, that realtor, that brokerage, that title company, the attorneys who advise us, I'd make sure I've padded up my errors and emissions insurance to a high degree because... A lot of these folks are rather litigious. They, they you know, they, they have their own group of attorneys. Oh, yeah. Yep. Something tells me the cannons are going to get pointed away from the four hunters, and someone's going to pay. It may be. Yeah. But here's, here's, I'll say this. Uh, one of the uh, reasons uh, I guess I'm not a good realtor, or I'm not a realtor at all, uh, is uh, I'd, I'd be nervous about making those types of right. representations to say, Hey, this this will be yours as as well because, as Tom said, uh, since the well since the passage of the of the act in 1885 and the uh, Camfield case in 1897 at the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, there's there's been notice that uh, this idea that you just get to do what you want with the uh, landlocked sections of public that are within the the periphery of your property. Uh, is is not uh, not built on a on a granite foundation, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah, w- will there be cannons pointing in different directions? Maybe I don't know. Um, but the uh, the idea that that this is a settled issue, I think, is has yeah. been wrong for from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, really mistaken. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and just because well, my my neighbor sold his ranch and got all this value. That doesn't necessarily mean that that 
is the true value based on sorting out what rights are there or not there. That's true. Uh, That's true. If, if I, right totally now, true. with this case in limbo, and this is just the conservative accountant in me, if I was in the ranch brokerage business, I would go to every one of my listings and say, get that shit out of there that says 20,000 acres. <laughs> because if this case gets settled adverse to the landowner and in the favor of the the defendants, I don't want to be trying to sell and create values that I'm, I really don't have a right to. Someone's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a whole part of this case that I think we in the hunting space we focus on and just okay. I'm now, hopefully, the end result is I get to step over the corners without any problem. There's a whole other part of this: a multi-billion-dollar economy that has people filing, you know, trying to be a friend of the court on this. On the other side. Because they're like, holy shit, you know, Joe wants to sell his ranch at retirement and he's got all this federal land locked up. He's not going to be able to sell it worth squat mm -hmm. if, if this case goes against us. Or, you know, I paid all this value based on this, what might be a false premise. And someday when I want to liquidate, ah. I'm going to take it in the shorts. It might, it might, it so, might be a lot less. So the, there's my point is to illustrate to the listeners that there are multi billions of dollars at stake of value, if depending on how this case ends up, and that's why you're seeing so much pressure, so much advocacy from the side of those who, I would say, line up with the plaintiff on this of wanting these claims to be held, upheld. Right. Yeah. yeah there's a lot. Yeah. There's, the, what we call reliance interests. Yeah. You have, uh, you, what do you, you have, have, Nick? Reliance. Oh, a, a reliance. You know, you've, you've, you've got people who've, who've relied on this idea uh, that, as we discussed, has not been something that's 100% uh, reliable, uh, as has been clear from the law for a long time. Uh, but all of a sudden, when that's threatened, then you certainly you're going to have folks who are who are worried about it and worried about what happens to my investment. Did I make a bad deal? Uh, and uh, what could I do to save the deal if if it turns out I did make a bad deal? Yeah, yeah, and I and I I mean I get it. I get it. If I were Mr. Eshelman and I'd bought all this land down in Carbon County, uh, and I'd, I would now understand I might have hunters on my interspersed. Yeah. Uh, between my private sections, I'd, I'd certainly be upset. I, I get that. Uh, but upset doesn't, feed, doesn't answer the question or the claim here. Right. And I'll go back to the thing I said earlier on. To say that anybody is surprised by this issue arising, either a realtor or a landowner, wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Because it's always been there since yeah. this Unlawful Enclosure Act was passed. So... We got the Unlawful Enclosures Act as one of the issues. What are what are the other parts of this that so we need to be paying attention to, and that the courts or the jury will pay attention to? We've got the we've got the act, as you say, and then as Tom mentioned, the the other uh, I think big piece of this is the question of what constitutes a trespass. Yeah, uh, and that we mentioned a bit earlier. 
this question of airspace and how much of the airspace do you get. So the the jury here, if we get get down the road to a jury, the jury's going to be instructed on the law. And because it's a federal court with diversity jurisdiction, like we talked about at the beginning, it's going to be applying the law of Wyoming. Yeah. It's applying the state law. And uh, under that law, you have a trespass if you uh, enter into or cause something to enter into the the land of another while that while that other person has the right to possess the land. It's a pretty simple set of uh, legal marks that you need to hit to show that you have a have a trespass. Um, and the, I think the, the question here that has got everybody fired up about Cosby and Hinman and, and airspace and uh, how far you can, uh, how low I can fly over your property or uh, when it becomes an intrusion is, is that question of, well, is this, is this cognizable? Are we going to say that this is a property interest that the law is going to protect the, the two feet of air at the geometric point where the, where the corner intersects. Yeah. And that's going to be, I think the other big issue in the, in the case. And will, will the jury be asked to decide that or will the judge say, tell the jury, look, I have determined that the law applies in this manner or do we know? Well, the short answer is we don't know, but here's, there's some, there's something that could happen before we get to a jury that's worth that's worth mentioning. What's that? It's uh, what's it called a motion for summary judgment. Okay. So we, we talked a bit about the motion to dismiss. Right. Um, a motion for summary judgment is is like a motion to dismiss in that you're asking the, the court to make the decision. Uh, but what the party has to show is to say, here's the facts of this case. They're, they're undisputed. Yeah. There's no dispute about these, these facts. Yep. And uh, when we apply the law to the undisputed facts of this case, we win. That's what we're arguing to you, Judge, in our motion for summary judgment. So the either side, the plaintiff or the defendant, could ask for summary judgment? That's right. So it's open to both sides. They could both do it. Uh, they may well both do it here because I don't think that the facts are, like we've said, terribly complex. And... Um, who knows what type of disputes might develop around what actually happened or what the facts are that the court can look at. But again, we're not in a scenario where we're trying to unravel a, you know, long financial transaction or something like that. Or, uh, you know, who was, how foggy it was when you were driving down the road at night when someone pulled in front of you and you T-boned them. Yeah. You know, those are issues where the questions of what the facts are are a little hazier and the court will often say, okay, jury wants you to decide those facts here. Maybe the court, uh, says, okay, you've got the these facts, uh, core facts are undisputed. You hunters uh, cross from uh, one public parcel to the other public parcel. You use the ladder. You didn't set foot on the uh, on the ground, uh, but by virtue of passing through there and the nature of geometry, you, you must have crossed through some of that airspace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the court uh, could, in that instance, make a decision, apply the law to those facts, and and reach a decision about one whether the UIA was a defense to the claims that are brought by the, uh, by the ranch and two, uh, whether this is actually a trespass. Yeah. Yeah. 
It could be. And there's actually one thing. Nick brought this up to me um, because I'm old and decrepit and <laughs> nap in my office, and Nick was actually doing research. Uh, but, but one thing at issue here, Randy, are damages. Oh, yeah, for I mean, sure. That's... The, the damages. And, and, and Nick and I are talking about, holy cow, the ranch has claimed seven and a half million bucks in damages for, for four guys from Missouri <laughs> with muddy boots, right, <laughs> yeah. passing through airspace an inch and a half above these private, these private parcels. Yeah. And the question becomes, well, what you've, damages, it's a causation argument. Right. You have to cause damages. Exactly. Now, that's actual damages. They're punitive damages. I'm not talking right, about right, that. But actual financial damage. Yeah, the actual, actual damage from this trespass. And... And what the ranch is arguing, I think, is like mm-hmm. a condemnation case. Right. If you take this from me, yep. then the remainder is damaged horribly, yep. and you have to pay that damage. Yep. I don't think that's the way that trespass works. No, I, I, I'm trying to follow through that logic. So the very first thing would be, okay, what, what if even the plaintiff said, yep, sure, we, 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 we committed civil trespass. The hunters said that. Or, yeah, I'm sorry. I keep saying the wrong thing. The hunters, the defendant said that. What if they did that, even though they haven't? What would be the damages? You'd ask the jury. Yeah. And if I'm sitting on a jury, and as an expert witness who's many times had to look over at that jury to try read what they're thinking, if I'm on that jury... You're going to convince me that your property is damaged by seven and a half million dollars? It would be a very hard sell. Seems like a big lift. Good luck with that. Big, big lift. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. because on lift. that jury, heaven forbid there's a CPA on that jury, we always get kicked off juries. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> I, I have, I've been called for jury duty so many times, and as quick as I say my profession is I'm a CPA, Usually, one party or the other wants me dismissed. I've never had to sit on a mm. jury. I've been, been involved as an expert witness, and I don't know how many cases, but I have ne- I've always been booted out of the jury pool. It's one of the reasons to pick that as a career choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, so the, the point is, even if these hunters said, yeah, okay, I'm going to raise my hand, I'm going to plead guilty to civil trespass, which they haven't and they shouldn't. How would you calculate that level of damages? Because I've been through multiple courses training on calculation of damages. It's usually an impairment of an asset value. Mm -hmm. It's the loss of either current or future profits, or it's the imposition of a cost and liability past, present, or future. And you come up with some present value of all that. There's a formula for how you do this. That's The methodologies are accepted. They're, it's not like s- some party gets to just pull this out of their ear. Right. The courts that I've always been in uh, have held certain standards of the methodologies used to calculate damages. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just this amount itself causes me to laugh out loud. But I think the point you're making, Tom, is this, you know, remainder value. In other words, the fact that you've done this now. The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is brought to you by Mystery Ranch Backpacks. For years, I've been using Mystery Ranch Packs. It might be the Metcalf or the Beartooth, the Sawtooth or the Pintler. 
No matter which Mystery Ranch pack you choose, here's how you can save 10% on your purchase. Go to the Go Hunt gear shop, gohunt.com, put a Mystery Ranch pack in your cart, and when you check out using promo code RANDY, you're going to save 10% off that pack and most of the other regular priced items in your cart. Mystery Ranch backpacks, can't beat them. Go check them out. Has created a very small remaining value to my asset. It's really reduced. And the difference would be if the federal government had come along and mm-hmm. condemned right. a four foot access across this corner. Yeah. Now you'd have to have, you could make an argument that here's how it damages the remainder of right. my 20 odd thousand acres. Yeah. But that's not the case here. It's people stepping no. from one to another. Correct. They uh, are saying along. this right it has always existed, the right for me to do this. And therefore, I'm not guilty mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. It, uh, it would be an odd result if a court would find or a jury would find what the hunters did was lawful. And now we're, it's way down the road. It is not the case now. But right. if you can step from public section to public section, um, it would be bizarre to say, because we're now engaging in lawful activity, I owe you money. Yeah. Because it diminishes the value of your ranch. That, mm-hmm. That's not the way the law works. No, all. it's fundamentally contrary to the way the damages work, which yeah. is they're the idea behind a damage is to try to make someone whole for a wrong that has been done yeah. to them. Yeah. And if a wrong has not been done, then who do we make whole? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's, that's where we start to uh, start to chase our own tails on this, yeah. on this topic of, of the, of the damages. And, and Tom had mentioned the, you know, one, one measure is to think about the, the devaluation or the remainder value of the property but here we have a, a trespass allegation, which is uh, a temporary, uh, the facts alleged is a temporary invasion of the, of the airspace. So then right. the question is, how does that permanently devalue? Right. It doesn't cause it, any physical injury to, no. the, to the property. Um, so we can't go out and say, all right, well, you know, you, you spilled a, a, a truckload of, of salt water and now I can't uh, grow anything on this this part of my property, and that was a trespass. And here's how I right. can articulate my damages. You don't have that here. Uh, and uh, if it's a if it's a temporary uh, invasion, which is what's what's being alleged, then uh, what what would make the landowner whole for that temporary invasion? What's the right. what's the what's the price for that? And, yeah. and so, I don't know how you get there. Well. It, in all the training I've had, when you have a temporary damage, you don't you you disclude or you ex, uh, exclude the impairment methodology mm. because it was temporary. Okay, it's not impaired now. No. Uh, we told you you can't do this anymore. It's it's temporary. Mm-hmm. It, it hasn't impaired the value of that. So, so when it's a temporary uh, trespass. We've always deferred to the methodologies we use are, okay, I was running an outfitting business and you ran off a bunch of clients and they didn't pay or blah, blah, blah. Or because you were temporarily there, I had to send a bunch of my employees there. You did this, you did whatever. So if it's a temporary act, the methodologies of lost profits or additional costs incurred could be could be in play. 
But Could be. usually the flow chart you go through is if this is not a permanent activity, the impairment value, the impairment methodology, the court should reject that as, as a method for, for calculating damages. We would, we would hope. That, that's, mm-hmm. If you went through, if I handed the judge or the jury my textbooks for how damages are calculated, they would go to the very first chapter on impairment and it would say, Impairment is used for permanent damages, damages that permanently impair the value of an asset, an action. Right. But. But, but we're talking about civil damages. Right. Don't forget, a trespass is a tort. Right. And if it's an intentional tort, sometimes that opens up the opportunity for a plaintiff to collect punitive Exactly, damages. right. I'm, I, that's, I'll, I let, <laughs> let you attorneys worry that's, about that's punitive and other damages. That's, that's a, no, but you so. can see how, well, there was a case in Wisconsin, we talked about it in yeah. the last podcast, drag yeah. a trailer 40 feet across somebody's field, yeah. punitive damage is 100 grand. Yeah. And so there, that's, right. that's around here. But one thing I want to yeah. say as we have this conversation, this stuff is so freaking fascinating in a way, I mean, it's. I don't mean to diminish it at all. The hunters have had their freedom threatened, and they yeah. beat that in the criminal case. Yep. They're now being asked to pay, at least in, face an allegation of millions of dollars in damages. Yep. We've got a landowner uh, and who who is thinking, holy cow, I thought I owned X and controlled it, and now I have Y. Yeah. I mean, this is a serious case. And the implications for hunters in this country could be monumental if right. this case keeps going up. Yeah. Uh, but and the is, implications for people in a similar situation to the plaintiff who have spent collectively billions of yeah, dollars mm-hmm. on ranches, it's huge for them also. It's huge for them, and it is it is utterly fascinating. It's one of the things, to me, it's an, it's an advertisement why you want to become a lawyer, to deal with this, <laughs> you know. Just, just to be able to think about, I think about these issues. But, but one thing I want to come back and bang the drum on this mm-hmm. um, is that there is nothing we've talked about today, and there is nothing decided in this case so far, which should make anyone think they can access public land by stepping from one corner to another without the threat of without the threat or the possibility of that being unlawful yeah uh you 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 can't make that decision yet i think yeah um is it possible that through this process at this court whether it goes to appeals i think it will go to appeals regardless of the outcome because there's a lot at stake here uh that the final decision could say yeah you know what this was civil trespass, but the damages are zero. You or, can have or, a trespass or, or, with no damages. Exactly. So, yeah. so that's my point. Is yeah. in, in the case of hunters, what if, you know, we, we hold ourselves out to be property rights advocates? I do. And this is why eight years ago when I hired another well-respected law firm, who you guys know, they led me down a what-if scenario of, well, okay, because I was going to do almost verbatim of what these guys did, other than I was going to call the landowner and say, hey, I'm going to be doing this opening morning of elk season, so, you know, get the sheriff or get the game warden out there. 
And this law firm walked me through what the likely outcomes were. And what they painted as a picture is pretty much the roadmap of where we got to other than no, and they did not paint a picture of some crazy case where I'd be sued for seven and a half million dollars. They did, they did not paint the case that this could end up in a federal court like this one has. Huh. But w- w- when that happened, they said, you know, it's possible that you could be found uh, not guilty on criminal trespass. But we think it's very likely, and this was just their opinion, not not having the benefit of all these cases and arguments and pleadings. They said, we think it's very likely you could be found guilty of civil trespass with close to zero damages. And this is where it created a problem for me. As a property rights advocate, if this was civil trespass... No, I see what you're saying, yeah. Where the, if the damages were zero or the damages were... 50,000. I wasn't going to do it just because of my belief of, you know, property rights. I I was not going to do this. So one of the things that I'm thinking about in this case is, so after we're all done, the court says, and I'm not saying it will, but it's a possibility. The court says, yeah, it's civil trespass, but there's de minimis damage, you know, 10 bucks. You know, put a little donation cup at the corner of every section and hunters, your damages are $10. Put $10 in the cup and off you go. Have at it. Yeah. I, I, I'm painting a, a picture that, uh, you know, no one's going to put a cup at the corner and say, make your $10 donation. But there, there's a lot of possible outcomes here. And one of them could be that, the Unlawful Enclosures Act only applies to this fact in this case because of the extraneous efforts of the landowner to try prohibit. Putting up a fence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Putting up a fence where there, there were no cattle. Okay. Right. At the, at the, other than at the corner, the landowner didn't do the rest of this. He didn't run chains and padlocks and big tall posts. Mm-hmm. So... I'm prepared for a court that might say, landowner, you, come on, man, you, you, you're, you're out of line here. You have violated the Unlawful Enclosures Act here. Well, a, a question we have is, if you have violated the Unlawful Enclosure Act, can you still be guilty, get, uh, can you still be found to have violated a state civil trespass law? That's... And, and my take on that, uh-huh. and it's just my take, is that that cannot, those two situations cannot exist simultaneously. So, so if a landowner has violated the Unlawful Enclosures Act by taking such extraneous efforts, you, you're thinking that, that, that the, the default is the, the hunters then are not guilty. Not, not of a civil trespass. But that's a guess, Randy. Yeah. We don't have that definitive in black and white. Right. But one thing to remember, too, in this case we have here with, uh, with Mr. Eshelman and and this ranch, he also wants an injunction against the hunters. Right. Saying, dude, you can't do this. It's a civil trespass, mm-hmm. and a court is now ordering you not to do it on my land. Right. So that's a way a landowner could keep at least individual named defendants out. Right. And then if that gets appealed and the, that rationale 
stays as being applied to the Tenth Circuit or wherever. Yep. Now I'm thinking about all of this in a context of, in the reason I spend so much time illustrating how ridiculous this corner is is there's going to be a lot of corners. The number of corners of these intersections, very few. Like, hey, probably on one hand I can count corners I've encountered that are as ridiculously obstructed as what this landowner did. All the other corners, the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other intersecting corners don't have that. Right. So... Can I take the facts and circumstances of this case that has a really ridiculous obstruction and imply that the same logic or outcomes are there when there's nothing but a monument marker, a post in the ground, you know, a little survey marker in the ground or there, there is an obstruction, but it's a fence that's a legitimate fence for the purpose of keeping someone's cattle off their neighbor's place or off other federal mm-hmm. grounds where they don't have the grazing allotment. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's pretend we're truckers. Okay. okay. And, truckers. The, and the answer to your question is, that's a big nugatory, good buddy. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you, you, you know, it depends how this case shakes out. Yeah. But you cannot extrapolate from this case to an unprotected, um, an unprotected corner yeah. in the Bighorns, right. in the crazies. You can't. Right. Uh, w- the, we the, don't know the answer to that. Now, the way it ultimately might be decided in the Tenth Circuit mm-hmm. or in the Supreme Court might answer that question. It, it might. And so that, my point of, of exploring all of these possibilities is to get the audience thinking about this is a very complicated piece of law and don't think that there's just this simplistic answer to all of it because in today's world i'm guilty of it i try to solve really complicated issues with simple answers it is a complicated issue yeah this this is i mean there, like tom said there's not a um Simple answer. We don't we don't get the uh, decision out of this case at the federal district court in Wyoming and suddenly know the answers for everything everywhere throughout the West wherever we have a checkerboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's based on uh, the facts of the case that are in front of the court and or the facts that the jury find if the jury uh, gets to to hear the case, and that's that's going to be the scope of of what's decided. Yeah. Nick, you pointed out before we got on on the record button there that one thing that's unique about this case compared to some of the other unlawful enclosure cases is this is two private parties. The that's plaintiff right. and the defendant are private parties. And in many of the other cases, not all, but many of the other cases where the Unlawful Enclosure Act comes into play, it is the federal government as one of the parties. That's right. The frequently, and again, like Tom said, we have 15 pounds of cases. So, <laughs> but but what you see uh, as a recurring theme is that it's the it's the federal government that brings the case. That's the plaintiff in the case, mm-hmm. and is uh, suing a, a, a landowner or other private party 
for violation of the unlawful enclosures act yeah and saying you can't do this you have to pull these fences out uh, you have to remove this obstruction you got to let the antelope pass through your land that's the bergen case out of out of wyoming um and here though you have two private parties or it's two two private people or entities on either side and the government hasn't hasn't brought this case uh, and that's why you had the fight, um, like I mentioned earlier in this motion to dismiss about whether the the UIA, the Unlawful Enclosures Act, could even be uh, raised by the by the hunters, which the court said, yeah, you can do that. And in fact, it's happened a long time ago in the in the Mackey case. Um, but it's it's different because you don't have the government here. You don't have the government trying to enforce the Unlawful Enclosures Act. What you have is a private party who's using the act as a defense right. against a trespass claim. Which is much different. Very, very much different. And uh, you guys have cautioned me, don't necessarily read into all these UIA cases where the government is take, you know, making a claim versus how it gets applied when you use it as a defense. It, it, that, that's, that, 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 that's true. I mean, it's, it's still the act... Right. And, and and the federal law might well, well apply to the situation, but it's mm-hmm. raised in, as Nick points out, very different context than most of the cases decided under the Unlawful Enclosure Act. Yeah. Well, I, the, I, out on my hunt talk forum, uh, I asked members, what are other questions you have that you want me to bring up with Tom and Nick. And so I sent some of those over this morning and we kind of went down the path of damages and how damages are calculated and, and methodologies for that. One of the other questions that is a con, I'm taking multiple questions and putting them in sort of common areas. Okay. They, they generally revolve around this is, okay, it's August. We've got a ruling in this case. Every some group is out drinking in the streets. <laughs> yeah, look at this. And one group is like, "Son of a bitch." Mm-hmm. What's the likelihood that it just—that's the end of it? It seems small in a case like this. Yeah, because of the this is this is what I would call uh, a test case. Um, which is a term that gets thrown around to to talk about a, a a lawsuit that's really designed to sort of test a fundamental principle of law or to figure out an issue that's 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 difficult. I don't know that it was intended that way, but what we have here is by the fact you know evidence by the fact we've spent a lot of time talking about it uh, today and in podcasts before uh, this really fascinating and important legal question that has a huge amount of importance to public land users yeah. and has a huge amount of importance to private land owners. Uh, and, uh, and so it, it draws a lot of attention and people are going to, uh, take ideas or conclusions away from it, regardless of, of what happens. And because that's the case that, you know, we seem to find ourselves in here, it seems to me pretty likely that you have an appeal, uh, after the case, uh, wends its way to the conclusion in the federal district court. Yeah. Uh, it, it could be wrong on that. It's just prognostication, but it, I would guess it's a, it's a better than usual chance that you have an appeal coming from, from this case. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that appeal to the 10th circuit 
may or may not result in an opinion that answers more questions. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> maybe, and, and, and even if it does, if it goes up to the Supreme Court, um, that will either answer some or raise more. Right. Uh, we don't know. And that's the reason that I especially have been, have been uh, ringing this caution bell. Yeah. Is that it's... We don't have, re- we don't have answers yet. Yeah. We w- we're going to have some, but it's nothing's been answered at so, this point. So be my, my I, I, if I had, if I could go down to Vegas and bet that <laughs> if, if this case comes out adverse to the plaintiff, i.e. the landowner, and I look at who have been filing briefs as, you know, what do they call them? Amicus briefs? Am- Amicus. Friend, Amicus. Yeah, friends uh, of the court. And because Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has filed one on behalf of the four hunters, mm-hmm. there have been multiple. I don't know if they've been accepted, but there have been multiple briefs filed by landowner groups and others in Wyoming. And I don't know, you know, I read about them, but I, I haven't followed and don't understand well enough if they've been accepted by the court. Uh, the amount of money and value that is at question by the landowner side of this based on their assumption that, oh, we'll win or we'll be able to have quasi-ownership of all this federal land. That's, that dollar amount is so large that I would bet, if not that Vegas is going to let me bet on this, but I'd bet $10,000 that this case gets appealed if this court has a finding that is adverse to the landowners. That, that's probably a good bet. I, and I think I'd, I'd win that bet. And that's why I don't think Vegas is going to let me go down right. and, and lay money on that. You'd have to do a lot of explaining uh, to your bookie about how this bet was going to work and, and what this case was. You could give him the podcast. And then yeah, that'd, see. that'd be tough. <laughs> yeah, but then he wouldn't take my bet. Yeah. So. Uh, well, it may also be true, though. Two things. It may be true if the, if the plaintiff wins uh, well, if the plaintiff wins, the hunters might take it up. Exactly. Because that, that was my next yeah, point. There, um, there, there are a lot of public land uh, groups yeah. and conservation groups supporting the hunters. Yeah. One thing I will mention, what's the name of the system, Nick, you go into to get, be able to access federal dockets? Still PACER? PACER. Yeah, yep. PACER. There's a PACER system. Yeah. You can go to, the, go to the federal courts and find it, and we've done it. It'll show you that every, every paper filed in this case in the docket, it's listed. Really? Have, mm-hmm. Does it have the, yeah, have they filed or submitted to that system the, the rationale or the basis for the damage claim? We do have a uh, what I've what I've seen uh, in looking at that at Doc report. You have what are what's called an expert witness disclosure right. from the ranch. Yeah, and one of those disclosures is from I believe a real estate broker. Yeah, and uh, the the opinion there, uh, as best I can glean it, is that uh, in in this broker's professional uh, estimation, the if if you have to market or sell. Uh, ranch properties or lands uh, under the under the rule that uh, the public gets to corner cross and mm-hmm. that's and that's and that's totally legal uh, that would lead to a devaluation in in what you could list them for yeah. of, of I think around thirty uh, percent or something like that I might I might not have that exactly yeah. right but that's the 
that's the that's a general uh, summary of of what that opinion appears to be. Yeah, I I, I need to find a way to get into that and read it because it, this is where as accountants we nerd out on this stuff, right? Uh, well, as lawyers do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The the court accepting an opinion usually is dependent upon the qualifications of that person. Uh, and if I was the the defendants, I wouldn't just rely on a ranch broker because a ranch broker has a vested interest in this. So their objectivity in the eyes of a court or a jury is going to be less. It's like, well, I make commissions on this. I, you know, I, I've got a reason to say the way I do. Uh, if I was the defendants, I would get some very well-respected appraiser who's probably got opinions out there, whose opinions have been relied upon in other federal cases, maybe tax court cases, maybe otherwise. Uh, I'd go hire them as my expert witness because they have professional standards that they're held to. I'd go hire a, a CPA who's an absolute expert in calculating damages and things like this. No, oh. Because CPAs, again, have professional standards of objectivity and such. Mm-hmm. Ranch brokers, nothing against ranch brokers, but their professional standards usually aren't uh, objectivity, independence, other stuff. And they're not as articulated as, as, exactly. as, as those for CPAs. Well, and that's one of the reasons you have a jury. Mm-hmm. A, a ranch broker can be a phenomenal expert at times, too. Mm-hmm. And right. the jury will say, I believe you, mm-hmm. or they won't. I want to go back to this one thing about PACER, though. Mm-hmm. Um, the PACER system. Yeah. If your listeners want to see what's filed in this case, yeah. it includes amicus briefs filed by the uh, Wyoming Stock Growers Association and wool growers, for example. Yeah. They ask the court, could we file a brief? The court either says yes or no. Right. And if the court says yes, there's their brief. Now, and, and so you can read all the amicus briefs that are filed as this case goes along. Okay. Surprisingly to me, the wool, the wool growers and the uh, stockmen's uh, they don't take a position on the Uniform or the Unlawful Enclosure Act. Really? They say, we're not making any statement about that. We're just talking about the state of Wyoming law and trespass. And they're trying to say that... They're trying to say that this is a trespass. Okay. Uh, so, and, and if... if, if, if um, and there's actually a brief on file, I forget the guy's name, a firm out of San Francisco. Right. F- filed, Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eric yeah. filed a brief on behalf, of the, on behalf of the hunters. So it's accessible to every one of your readers if okay. they want to look at it. And one point I'll make is that with this huge cloud of talk, talk, talk about what's going on here, you want to really get down to the nitty-gritty and the essence of what's going to be decided and what's at issue, go to PACER, read okay. the complaint, read the, read the answer and, and those papers. That will really narrow the issue for you. How do you spell that? P-A-C-E-R. P-A-C-E-R. Right. P-A-C-E-R, yeah. And you can, I mean, if you Google that, it'll it'll pop up. Or um, I'm trying to think what the best way to, to get there is, but it's probably it's probably Google. But you'll, I think your listeners will, listeners will want to be sure, too, that they've got the, the Wyoming uh, federal court uh, pacer system. Is, is what they're looking at, which, again, they should be able to figure out with a little you bit of probably Googling. Dis- call the Federal District Court for the District of Wyoming, and they can get you signed up for it. Okay. Uh, and, and instead of drinking flagons of beer and <laughs> arguing about what the hell's going on, they, they'll save a bunch of money that way, and they'll really know. They'll really know. Well, I, before we 
we're getting close to getting through our outline and you guys have seen me over here writing notes and and scratching on my my work papers here uh i i started down this process of appeals and then i got di distracted from from that and went down another rabbit hole uh and adam on my website said whatever you do keep going down those rabbit holes you always come back to the outline just when you're really getting into the thick of it uh but for the case for the purpose of of kind of walking through this logically it's i started to say hey it's august we've got this these findings and i want to go down to vegas and bet on this uh, but i'm not going to get a chance to go to vegas and bet on it <clears throat> but what Oh, you guys mentioned this is in the 10th circuit. Uh, so if someone doesn't like this case, they can appeal it to the 10th circuit court of appeals. Is that correct? Yes. And that court would either accept or reject it? They have to Their accept court it. court has to, yep. The so, so they could reject the appeal? No. No. The 10th oh, circuit. 10th circuit has to, to take it. it. Okay, so mm -hmm. they have to take it. And... They either agree with the the findings of the district court, or they disagree, issue their reasons why, and they send it back to the district court. Is that? Uh, oh. It's an option. This is where we can get way into the weeds about oh, yeah. what can happen <laughs> right. on an appeal and, and uh, what gets appealed and how that might affect it. But I'll set the table this way. We talked about uh, you could have a decision in this case based on uh, one party or the other's motion for summary judgment. Mm -hmm. Let's say that happens. You have a final opinion from the court that says, this is the way uh, that this hashes out. This is final. This case is, is done and, and dusted and dismissed. Um, that's appealable as, as of right up to the, to, up to the circuit court to 10th circuit court. And the, the circuit court would then take up the review of that case based on the issues that were appealed uh, by, by one part or the other or both and uh, review what the, what the district court had, had done, its, its rationale, its legal conclusions and, and, uh, and thinking as outlined in its written decision and say, well, we agree or disagree or we agree in part and disagree in part. And depending on what the circuit court does there, it can say, all right, we affirm this district court got it right. Case is all done. Uh, we, uh, we agree in part and we uh, disagree in part. So we're going to send it back down to the district court to, for some further review potentially, or just to say, here's what it is now. This is our opinion. And it's, it's a little different than the district courts, but that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Or it could say, you know, we, we disagree and, and here's why. And, and this is, and this is the, the outcome here. Right. Um, so that's one way that it can, that it can go on an appeal. Okay. Another thing that can happen is you get to a jury trial and that process goes through. The, the jury does what it does, which is find the facts and apply the law to the facts, the law as is instructed by the court. And that can be appealed as well. Uh, but if that's a little bit of a different type of appeal because there you're dealing with a, a jury verdict. Okay. And in that instance, there's quite a bit more deference to what the jury has done, uh, then you would have uh, a circuit court apply to what a, a district court had had done on a order on summary judgment. Okay. Um, so the arguments there may be a bit more 
limited and they would probably focus on how the jury was instructed or what the court decided that the law was. And okay. again, you could have uh, the the outcomes uh, that I talked about before. Yeah. So uh, that's a little bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, the, the short and dirty of it is that, yep, there's a right to an appeal. It can go up. The circuit can say okay or no okay. And uh, that may be the rule then too. Yeah. So this happens, again, I'm saying August. We don't know for sure it's going to be August, but looking at the court calendar, hopefully that's where we're at. Uh, one party or the other says, ah, there's parts of this I don't, I don't like or all of it I don't like. I'm going to the Tenth Circuit. What's the time frame for that? Is it another year, two years? No, I bet it's at least a year. Yeah, I, I, I'd hesitate to, to give a firm time frame on but it. But it's not going to be two months. No. no. We, we know for sure no. it's not going to be two months or no, three months. It, it will take some time because what, what has to happen on an appeal is uh, a party appeals or one or both of them raise an appeal. They go up to the circuit court. Uh, and then you go through uh, a briefing process in front of the of the circuit court. Uh, uh, the judge is there, where one party, uh, just like happened in the in the district court with the motion dismissed, they say, "Here's our arguments about why we should win." Then the other party has a chance to respond to those arguments, and then the the final go is the the first party saying, "Actually, this is why they're wrong and why we should win." Still, and that process will play out over the course of, I would guess, at least four to six months if okay. I had to just make a back of the napkin calculation. Mm -hmm. And then you have the court has to take it under consideration once it's fully briefed yeah. and uh, think about it and issue a decision. Well, there's a real argument sometimes too. Exactly. And you might have a scenario where the court says, you know, we want to have uh, an argument uh, out loud in front of us about this issue. You get to have that happen. And then you have the court consider it, and then you have the court issue its decision. So it has to go through another process. Okay. And more amicus briefs, too. People, people interested organizations can be file granted a, a right to file an amicus brief for the court to read. And as if people aren't completely exasperated at that point, if you don't agree with the appellate court decision... You could, if you wanted to, ask the Supreme Court to hear it, and they would agree to or not agree to. And that's another expensive, long-winded process. Right. Yep. Yep. That's, it's that. That's, it, and this may be a case they take. They bite. Really? Uh, yeah, they, they make a decision on what they're going to take. Yeah, they, yeah. A lot of people think the Supreme Court automatically has to hear every case that no. is petitioned to them. They don't. They pick and choose which ones they're going to hear, and they hear a very small percentage of all the cases yeah. that are that are presented to them. Yeah, vanishingly small. Yeah. So that's the reason I I try to paint all that as what the future might look like. Is Tom said that uh, we are? You said it's like going down a big rapids in a canoe and we're just part way through uh and we don't know what's yeah. at the bottom of the rapids or which fork of the you know around this rock or that rock it's going to lead us yeah or, it's it, it's it, we're in the middle of it it's it, the process has started randy like you know, all those let's all those statements like long journeys begin with the single step blah 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 yeah. that's what this is we're, yeah. we're underway right now and and uh 
The cake is not baked yet. Not. Not baked. So don't yet. don't baked. start whipping up your frosting yet because the cake isn't even baked. <laughs> That's right, because you might find your frosting in jail <laughs> if you're not careful. Uh, any other thoughts that because that where you're going to get a chance to add more to this after the case is settled like well, this the, summer. The, so. you know, I, one point I'd make is this, and and you and I chat about it earlier. Right now, legislatures in Montana. Wyoming, Colorado, Colorado uh, are meeting right now, and, and this corner crossing issue is a big deal to people out here in yeah. the West, a big deal. Yeah. And, and state legislators can change the law about trespass, about yeah. corner crossings, and things like that. Yeah. And if you have an opinion or, or you, want, you want to try to influence their behavior, contact them. Yeah. So many people don't do it. Wealthy people oftentimes are talking to their legislators all the time. Yep. And, uh, and they have big interests at heart, and, and legislation can be introduced to help them. And ordinary <laughs> folks, checkers in grocery stores, yeah. um, guys putting up drywall, yeah. right? Working on, on uh, gas rigs out, outside Gillette, let's say. Yeah, or uh, the, the guy in Rollins or Rock Springs who's just... You know, or a gal who's yeah, just trying working to make, to make a living. Trying want, to make a living. Want to go hunting once in a while. Would like to get an elk to feed their family. Yeah. Guess what? Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. You'll find courses by my buddy Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, me, Hank Shaw, John Barklow, Jamie Teagan, and the list is growing and growing. And here's the other cool part. My buddy Corey, who founded the University of Elk Hunting course, the popular course that is everything known about elk hunting, his course is now part of your subscription to Outdoor Class. So, all for one subscription, at one price, you get all of the Outdoor Class courses, plus Corey's University of Elk Hunting. Go to OutdoorClass.com, use promo code RANDY when you sign up, and you're going to save 20%. This will be great information for any hunter. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class, an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. Outdoor Class now includes the University of Elk Hunting course from my buddy Corey Jacobson. All these courses in one single subscription at one price. Go to OutdoorClass.com and use promo code RANDY to save 20% when you sign up. This is great information for any hunter at any level. Eshelman has one vote, you have one vote. And if you've got 15 friends who vote like you do, and the rancher has none who will vote like him, you've got 15 votes ahead. Yeah. So I would suggest that people contact their legislators and express their wishes and desires and concerns. Yeah. Um, uh, about this because that could resolve a lot of these issues too. Courts are messy ways to resolve these kinds of disputes because yeah. you have to. You're just presented with facts yep. of the case. But if it's important to you down in Rollins, yep. Rock Springs, Buffalo, yep. and you would like to have the law in Wyoming be clearer and maybe more favorable to hunters, 
contact those people because they will listen to you. And if you have 100,000 on your side and you got four landowners that own half of Wyoming on the other, your legislators are going to listen to you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point because uh, over the weekend, I was contacted by a Colorado representative. Uh, their, their group contacted me. Which surprised me. It's like, I live in Montana. Why, why, yeah. why are you asking me to weigh in on the draft of a bill in Colorado? I'm not an attorney. I mean, I was flattered that they did. And I told them, however, my platforms can help clarify this or, or you know, uh, accelerate or, or forward this issue clarified in Colorado. You just count on me, count on my platforms, because the clarity of this to me is... Way, way, way. I, I, I don't, and when I say this, uh, it's more important than what the end outcome is. No, I, w- I want the public to have access to public lands, and that's why I do this. It's why I hire you guys as consultants to advise me on this, spend so much time. Uh, but as someone who really values the law, I want it to be clarified. And I hope that clarification, and I'm you know, I wouldn't spend as much time and money as I have if I didn't feel that the clarification was going to be to the benefit of of us uh, public land users. But it it did surprise me that uh, a legislator in Colorado, a Republican legislator, who happens to love hunting and wants public access, has a draft that got submitted yesterday that clarifies what this would be under Colorado law. A corner crossing. Yes. Both criminally, and then there's another session that says, so long as the party in question complied with the first part of the law, any tort claim tort damages shall be dismissed by the court. So it handled both the criminal and civil issue in one bill. Now, whether or not it will get any traction in Colorado... I, I don't know. There are, I, I've got wind of two trespass bills being kicked around in the Wyoming legislature right now. And there is a bill draft in Montana. I haven't seen, it's a placeholder, right? Uh, in Montana, we call them LC and it's, you know, status of it is being drafted. And it says something to the effect of protect property rights for exclusive use or something like that. That doesn't sound very good for public access. (laughs) No, that one, I was talking to some of the, they they don't like being called lobbyists, but that's what I'm going to call them. They like being called consultants. Uh, (laughs) I've talked to some of the people involved in, in that one. And what it is, is they're asking for a change to the Montana Constitution that would grant exclusive use to a real property owner. So you think where that would go in Montana? A public it's, land with inside no, a ranch? No, no. That they're, they're, it's saying that we want to grant exclusive use to private property owners. And therefore, it would get rid of our stream access law. It would get rid of our any prescriptive easement claims. It would get rid of, you know, things like corner crossing. And so it sounds really good to those of us who are private property owners. They get rid of zoning and planning, right? We're undergoing immense 
pressures from growth and development in Montana. Wow. The, the way they're, and I, I know some of the people who are advising the sponsors of this bill, it's like, what's the motive here? And there's always the pause and you get into these little jousts. And while you joust, you quickly realize what the motives are. Yeah, uh, so, so your point though, Tom, state legislatures will have a huge impact on this. And that's part of my motivation of trying to bring the facts, the law, the understanding of this, rather than just, I want to win. We all want to win, right? We all want our opinion to prevail. But just this case is not going to decide everything. After this case is settled, after the appeals are settled, there's still going to be a huge body of effort on both sides, maybe, or at least one side or the other, to try chisel away at this. And part of my purpose for doing this on these podcasts is I want my platforms to be respected for the fact that we are here trying to get the best information to our audience and our listeners. And you guys have been a huge help in that. Oh, I'm We're happy, and happy to do it. And and our I, pleasure. And... and, and and you have just made a point we've made throughout this podcast. There's a process by which courts make decisions. There's a process by which states pass laws. Yeah. Uh, and and shouting down at the cannery on a Friday night. Which is a bar here in Bozeman. Which is a bar here in Bozeman, a, a well-respected bar, yes. long tradition. <laughs> but standing up and, and shouting about here's the way you'd like to see things go is not going to get you anything except maybe beat up, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but but if you want to make a change, if you, if you want to see how this stuff with trespass and corner crossing might be affected by your state legislators, talk to them. Yeah, That's what you need to do. You, uh, as much as I like um, Fletcher down at the... Uh, at the yeah. cannery, uh, yeah. standing up and with a beer and yelling is not going to help you. But you know what? Calling... Calling your local legislator, yeah, will, yeah, and and not to don't hesitate to, as it's obvious from our discussion, these are complicated topics, but don't don't hesitate to dive in and and read about yeah. them, educate yourself about them, spend the time, uh, because that's really where I think the like you say, Randy, um, uh, we we see solutions is where uh, folks are are learning about the complexities of the issue and are engaged with it and thinking about uh, all the interests that are at play and, and trying to be good educated citizens and, and be involved in the process. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we've also received the benefit of a couple of law professors that you guys know, oh, have. and I'm very thankful for them weighing in on this. They've provided us a lot of very, very good information. Uh, the last two podcasts, Tom, you, you said, no, we're not going to name our firm here in Bozeman. <laughs> and then this morning, as I show up here, two of your associates are like, well, why don't you let the world know at least what law firm is helping you on this, Randy? I said, well, Tom didn't want to do that. So you can either decline again or, yeah. or, or you can can do it. But. No, I've, I've, I've got bruises to show that I've changed my mind, Randy. <laughs> from, from my colleagues, we're, uh, Nick and I, Nick is a partner and I'm of counsel now, uh, was one of the founders of this firm. Uh, it's Tarlow Stone Cipher, Weimer and Kelly in there Bozeman, Montana. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, and I also want to thank some other people uh, besides, you know, the, all the work that you guys have helped me with here. Uh, there are four hunters from Missouri who have subjected Boy. themselves to a significant amount of, of grief and stress and potential financial loss. Uh, the fact that they have went through the way they have is inspiring and impressive. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I had planned to do this, but I was told, no, you, one, this will never end up in federal court. You're just, you know, it does you no good to subject yourself to all this if it violates your principle of civil trespass, which I was told it would. And if if it's a criminal case or a small case in Gallatin County, Park County, Montana, what, why would you do this? So these guys... <clears throat> Whether by intent or just through perseverance, they and their supporters have allowed this case to go where no attorneys I'd talked to saw it going, that being to the federal level. Mm. Uh, so thanks to them. Uh, Wyoming chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers have primarily funded or been the ringleaders for funding the defense of these guys, of these four hunters. Uh, and there are two guys in Wyoming, uh, Jeff Murator and Buzz Hedick, who have really led that charge. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it's created a weird situation for me because mm. I'm like the public land advocate, right? It's what I've used my platforms for all the time. But I've always been cautious that I don't let my desired outcomes get in the way of my principles of property rights. And so it's, it's, it's been a challenge for me to say, all right, I want to go and be the cheerleader to say, we need this outcome. Well, what if that outcome is adverse to what the law says? And so it's been complicated for me to have to make that analysis. And that's why last summer when Nick, you and I started talking about this stuff, I didn't even know that this these hunters had done this. I, the case popped up in like October of, of the year before. Uh, but it is what it is. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that through the perseverance of those groups and those people, uh, this is in federal court. And I'm fully prepared that maybe I don't get the outcome in the court or through the appeals that I would like to see for the public to have completely uninhibited access across these corners. That's what I want. That's why I hired a law firm eight or nine years ago to advise me on it. Uh, but I'm prepared for the fact that maybe that's not the case. And as much as I hope for that outcome, I, I am not going to, uh, dispose of my adherence to the law and what property rights represent in this country. So to your point, Tom, earlier you've cautioned, you've said, hey, you know, at where we are right now, don't anybody go out and think that you can read into this beyond what, what we actually have in front of us. So, uh, 
it's it's like you guys said this is so intriguing this is why you would want to become an attorney i you've got me you've not got me to that point yet tom i don't want to become an attorney <laughs> right but look how much that's, better we're dressed than you randy yeah that's true well it, it could be it i i you know i, I am it's lawyers should all respect process and the thing that's why we're in it and the thing that from what you have just said that i respect immensely is we've got a process we've got a way of dealing with disputes we've got a set of laws about property and all kinds of things mm -hmm. but that's the way this system works and right. if you want to throw the process out if you don't want to honor the process how do you ever resolve questions like this in a civil way or move to change the law yeah but good on you yeah. good on you and thank you for <laughs> involving us in this this is yeah terribly important stuff and um we we love we it like, we love it yeah, yeah. we really? love doing it really oh yeah it's, well you know it's a weird weird kind of love but yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you guys have been a huge help uh and I look forward to podcast number four. Once his case is, is settled at this level, um, then we'll explore what options are available. And maybe by the time we get there, someone will immediately say, I'm going this path or I'm going that path. Uh, a question, if you, is there a statute of limitations upon when you have to file notice that you intend to appeal? Usually 30 days after a decision, 30 to 60 days. You got to okay. file a notice of appeal to preserve your right. Okay. So we'll wait that long after the case before we meet so that we know if somebody is appealing and, and then whatever that entire process is. And, uh, this is, uh, you know, as someone who's viewed all these checkerboard lands and tried and wished and hoped that somehow we'd find a solution to it, uh, I hope that happens in this case, that we find a solution to it. Maybe we find that there is not the solution I hope for. Uh, and probably the thing that is... If, but, you know, weigh on hunters is if we find, if the solution becomes that, yes, this is civil trespass, but the damages are de minimis or zero, every hunter's going to have, or public recreationist is going to have to decide the same thing I had to decide back eight or nine years ago when I told this, was told this was civil trespass with very low damages. Would you then cross at that corner? If you knew it was civil trespass, even if the damages were close to zero, if the damages are high, it's going to be an easy decision. I don't want to pay $5,000 for every corner I cross. Mm. But I think there's a possibility here that we end up having to make some decisions ourselves of where we're at on that. If, Possibly. Yeah. Um, so, anyhow. Thanks so much, guys. Gosh, this is fun. I, I had a root canal yesterday. <laughs> that's what you, that's and this what is you not said. as painful. Uh, no, not nearly as painful. Good. Uh, yeah, have good. you guys ever had a root canal? Not me. I don't this know. This was my first one. And uh, last night after all the Novocaine or whatever, sedation, mm. whatever, whatever it is, it wore off. I remember exactly what time I did it. I bit down on that tooth in my sleep, oh, and no. I woke up at 3.37 this morning. 
what the hell happened? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's what happened. So I was worried it was going to be swollen and sensitive and I wouldn't be able to talk today. I'm like, how the hell am I going to do a podcast if, oh, I'm, yeah. if the yeah. host can't even talk? I'd have to hand it over to you guys. Be a boring podcast. Yeah, be, <laughs> be boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Nick, come on. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you're getting some benefit out of these, uh, this podcast here, number three. And uh, sometime in 2023, I'm sure you're going to get podcast number four. And uh, thanks for being here. 